Welcome to Howden's podcast, Fortune Favors the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Welcome to the final episode of our litigation risk management series. The first two episodes highlighted the available litigation insurance and finance solutions. And we now move on to hear from a lawyer's perspective how law firms are utilizing these solutions to unlock disputes. I am once again your host for this episode. My name is Katie Armstrong and I'm a specialist litigation risk management broker here at Howden. For this topic, I'm very pleased to welcome a special guest and one of my favorite lawyers, Sarah Fasani, who is co-head of international arbitration at CMS. So Sarah, welcome. I will now hand over to you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Katie. And let me just say thank you. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. I'm a huge podcast fan, so very honored that you've invited me. So I am Sarah Vasani. I co-head the International Arbitration Practice at CMS. As you might be able to tell by my accent, I am American by birth. So I spent the first half of my career uh, practicing law in Houston, Texas and Washington, D.C., and then moved over to London a little over a decade ago. As a result, I'm due qualified in, in the U.K. and also the U.S., and my practice largely focuses on both international commercial arbitration and investor state dispute resolution. So those are my primary areas of expertise. Thanks, Sarah. Now, as you know, this question is a regular feature on our podcast, so I turn to Sarah and ask, Can you please share with our listeners a time you used to have taken a risk and how it has paid off, whether professionally or personally? Right. So if it was personal, I would have said marriage. And I think that's a risk for everyone who decides to... That's a whole episode. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole other episode or perhaps a whole other series. From a professional standpoint, I think probably the largest risk was actually deciding to leave the U.S. and to move to England and Wales. Um, At that time, I wasn't barred in this jurisdiction. Um, So there was a little bit of uh, legwork to do. But having moved across, I think the risk has very much paid off um, as now I'm able to work seamlessly across both the U.S. and England and Wales, and I've become co-head of arbitration at a practice that operates in 70 offices in more than 40 countries and has over 5,000 lawyers worldwide. So with that global footprint, I think I wouldn't ha- have had that opportunity had I not moved to the U.K. some time ago. A risk that paid off. So it's a risk that paid off, hear, absolutely. Sarah, great to hear. So like, moving on to the topic of discussion, it would be invaluable to hear from your perspective, Sarah, the key considerations Uh, taken by a client considering a dispute, whether a claimant or defendant, and what you see as the associated risks, which I assume kind of form part of any initial discussion with the client? Of course, of course. Well, first of all, there's always an analysis of the merits of the claim. Litigation and arbitration are not inexpensive. And so when you're going into or thinking about whether to to launch a proceeding, you really need to see what the merits are are of the dispute and how likely you are to succeed. The other issue that often um, is, is really critical is how well is this uh, dispute documented? What type of evidence does the client have in relation to the dispute in order to put its claim forward? And then, of course, there's always a conversation with clients about how much it's going to cost. And then arbitration and litigation are both areas where unexpected applications can be made depending on who your opposing counsel is and depending upon who the opposing party is. A lot of times those costs and the time associated with uh, finalizing the proceedings can grow. And so there has to be a real consideration of what the dispute is likely to look like and how it might increase kind of unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Are there any specific considerations that may differ between arbitration and litigation? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the key differences is the actual decision maker. In a litigation, you're talking about national courts. Now, depending on what court you're in, that might be a very predictable scenario for a client, or it may not be predictable at all. And in fact, it might be biased and unpredictable. In arbitration, you're, of course, usually selecting at least one of the arbitrators in a three-member uh, panel. And so you have some control over who the decision maker is going to be. But again, uh, arbitration panels can can really vary uh, widely. And also the procedure and the flexibility is usually much greater in international arbitration. And depending on what side of the dispute you're on, that can be a good or bad thing. I typically think it's quite good. Um, but yes, those proceedings will not will run very differently depending on who the parties are, who their counsel are, and who the ultimate decision maker is. Uh, absolutely. I mean, th some of the risks that you, you mention, uh, and mainly, I suppose, the cost risks, I think typically are underestimated by clients uh, when considering a dispute in its earlier stages, particularly, which tends to mean a, a more difficult conversation later down the line. So, for example, you know, a client entering a dispute, assuming or hoping the case, case will conclude quickly, but it doesn't, and they underestimated the time and, and resource needed. And another key consideration more, more generally, uh, we mentioned in the previous episodes uh, how important it is to find the right litigation funder and insurer. But more importantly, it's, it's key to find the right legal partner. So Sarah, what would your advice be to a client who is considering a dispute to find or select the right legal representation? That's a great question. Uh, I think obviously it goes without saying that you want to have a legal representative who is extremely well qualified, extremely knowledgeable about the area of the dispute. I think it's also, though, important to find legal counsel who is interested in really understanding what the goal of the client is. It's not always to have a long, drawn-out litigation. Sometimes it's to settle as quickly as possible. If you're dealing with, for example, a dispute against a counterparty who you want to do additional business with in the future, you have an interest of not getting a, 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 an extremely combative legal counsel. You want someone who can work collaboratively um, with the opposing side in order to, to reach a dispute that won't ruin the party's future relationships. So really, I think it's important to find a, a lawyer, a legal counselor who is understands your business, who understands what your goals are, and that they're willing to tailor their approach to meet your goals as the client. All too often you see, you know, arbitration disputes lawyers or, or litigators who just want to go to court, they just want to fight. That might not be in the best interest. So you need to find the, the lawyer who's going to listen to your commercial goals and then, and then uh, you know, create a strategy around those and achieving those. Mm -hmm. Focusing on uh, the cost risks and, and using insurance and funding solutions to alleviate some of that risk, from your experience, what is the typical client profile who would consider these solutions? And when would you suggest is the best time to start having these discussions with clients? Sure. You know, the profile for clients really depends. It, it goes from small clients mm -hmm. in individuals who have been wronged and, and have disputes to multinational corporations who simply want to shift the risk of, of the costs of litigation or arbitration off the books. And as a result, they want to go to a third-party funder or insurers to help them do that. You know, a lot of the cases that I've had have been clients who have either had their investments expropriated or completely wiped out by a government in a foreign jurisdiction. In that case, 
they really have no option but to seek funding from a third-party source because all of their investment has been wiped out by the by the relevant host states. But that's not always the case. A lot of big corporations now are looking at ways of managing the risk of litigation. Uh, they don't want to have that risk on their books, and so they're just you know looking for third-party funders to invest in meritorious claims that they otherwise wouldn't want to spend the money on or the time on in order to pursue those claims. Absolutely. And the, the misconception that we see, it, it's shifting a little bit, but the misconception we've seen is, is law firms and, and corporates thinking litigation funding particularly uh, is, is used for kind of financially distressed clients. Whereas actually we see the opposite, around 70% of applications we see for these solutions are from corporate clients who have the means to fund a dispute, um, but they're looking to take the cost exposure off their balance sheet and prioritize their own capital. And so just, just going back, what's the best time to have these discussions with, with a client? Sooner rather than later. Uh, I think Correct. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the earlier you can get a lawyer involved to really analyze the best way forward, including the best way to fund the claim uh, and what your options are in relation to funding. I mean, there's different options. You can have the whole claim funded. You can have partial funding by the company, partial funding um, uh, by the funder, and then perhaps a CFA uh, agreement with the law firm. So there's lots of different approaches, but the sooner you can get someone involved the better because they will uh, counsel you as to how to get the funding, but then also look early, early days at the merits of the dispute and any other issues that might arise, such as enforcement against a particular party. And absolutely. And these solutions really dictate the legal strategy. Like you say, it goes back to absolutely. earlier your comments on clients' objectives in a dispute. Um, if you're looking for a client that wants to have a quick exit, that might not always be the case. So maybe you have to kind of open up these discussions and look at alternative, maybe finance sources to, to if, if the case went on longer than expected. Absolutely. We've seen over the years the increased use of litigation and arbitration insurance and funding globally. My question to you is, is why do you think law firms need to consider these solutions? Because uh, third-party funding uh, has become part of the litigation and arbitration landscape, it is now uh, standard for law firms to consider that, to have great relationships with funders, to be able to get their clients the right package that's suitable for them. So I think it's here to stay. It's likely to grow, and, and perhaps it will become more niche in the future with different funders focusing on different areas of the law. But I think it's just part and parcel of the legal practice. Absolutely. So clients have become more educated and are putting pressure on firms in respect to budgets and to act on alternative fee arrangements. These solutions can complement law firm retainers, allowing firms to act on fee risk fee arrangements without the downside. And like you say, there is more competition out there. You, it's it's the new world we live in. Uh, you know, we consistently see law firms globally promoting and utilizing financing insurance arrangements to unlock disputes. Uh, law firms need to be ahead of the curve in order to retain clients. Um, Sarah, we've known each other for, for years, and I know you were certainly ahead of the curve back back then, and that has that undoubtedly gave you an edge with clients. Uh, and like you said, I think it's, it's very much here to stay, and we will continue to see innovation. Absolutely. Sarah, I know you have many, but can you please share one or two examples where insurance and or funding has helped unlock or revive a dispute that you have been involved with? That's a great question, Katie. I, I think the first one that comes to mind is actually one that you were involved brokering. So uh, hats off to you for helping us unlock this. But this was a case with an investor. It was a family investor, individual investor family, 
who had a case against a South Asian state. Um, They'd spent 20 years fighting that case before the national courts and ultimately had a very unsuccessful judgment. That judgment was later overturned sometime later by the apex court of that nation. However, it was too late. Uh, There was no remedy available for that family under the national law. And because of the availability of funding and because of the availability of investment protection under the ASEAN Treaty, we were able to bring a treaty case against a South Asian government and ultimately received a settlement um, from the South Asian government within uh, about space of about six months. That was without funding and without investor state protection. That is a dispute that never would have happened. And there would have been no remedy for that family for the severe wrong that had happened to them in the past. So that would be kind of the first example of how really that wouldn't have been possible but for both funding and investor state protection. Another example, recent example that I can think of is, you know, one benefit of having funding is having a second pair of eyes to do diligence on a case to ensure its strength. Usually funders do a number of different levels of due diligence. So first there's the package that the law firm and the client put together, and then there's second layers of due diligence. And once the funder is committed to the claim, litigation and arbitration can have twists and turns and unexpected procedural events such as parallel proceedings or guerrilla tactics or additional interim applications that weren't uh, foreseen in the original budget. And having a third-party funder involved and invested in the case means that in the event that the budget is exceeded because of these unforeseen events at the outset of the case, you then have the option of, of going back and requesting top-up funding to you know further you know proceed with the the proceedings until the end of the uh, until the end of the dispute and that can be invaluable especially when there's an increase in budgeting due to unexpected and unforeseen events yeah i had a very recent example where corporate entity they're in the midst of the litigation they assumed it was going to settle it didn't internal litigation budgets had exceeded And so they needed financial resource to take it to the end. The defendants were throwing everything at it. Uh, This was going to the end. So we brought a finance financer in to fund not only prospective costs, but actually free up some of the retrospective costs for the client. Uh, So that was a really good example where I think otherwise the dispute wouldn't have been able to continue or they would have been forced maybe to settle for a much lower figure than than they wanted. Absolutely. Uh, Another common example we see... uh, more generally is is a client facing an unexpected security for cost application who you know did not anticipate having to pay cash into court to meet the opponent's cost liability this is a very common stage we're approached for AT insurance yes. and which without insurance could potentially mean the end of a dispute depending on the client's kind of financial uh, means you know that's a great example i had a case just like that actually where we were seeking security for costs from the respondent and because they were able to provide us with an AT insurance policy that gave us sufficient comfort to drop the the security for cost application, and then the dispute proceeded. So it was only because of that insurance policy that the dispute was able to move forward. These solutions are clearly valuable. Um, However, I think it's also useful to hear the challenges you and your clients have faced trying to secure funding insurance, and maybe how you've overcome these. I know you've You've been applying for funding insurance for, for over the years, and I know you've probably come across a number of challenges, so it'd be good to hear hear from you. Well, from a client's perspective, I mean, the first thing that we always look at, both law firms and funders, is the merits of the dispute. So those have to be strong in order to proceed down the route of funding. It's just very, very difficult 
uh, to, and, and personally, I would not put forward a case to a funder if I didn't think it was meritorious. A lot of times in order to build up the case, in order to present it to the market, there's quite a lot of legwork that needs to be done. There's a lot of due diligence that needs to be done in relation to the case. There typically is a um, objective funding memorandum that assesses the strengths and weaknesses of the, the claim. And a lot of that takes money. It might take a couple of hundred thousand. Uh, some funders provide seed money, but usually, um, in my experience, this is something that the law firm takes on when they believe in the case in order to, to build that up to go to the funding market. Um, so there's that initial cost of putting the package together. There's also, you know, the cost associated with third-party funding. It is a wonderful resource to have, but it isn't cheap. So it usually comes at a multiple, you know, the, the cost received, the cost spent on the case, plus a multiple anywhere between two and five, depending on the case and the timeline. So it can be a very expensive source of, of funds. And for cases um, to be able to get through to the funding stage, there needs to be the right ratio between the costs of the litigation or the arbitration and then the ultimate likely recovery. And many times funders are going to look at sunk costs uh, when they're looking at the ultimate recovery. And not all cases, especially if they're early stage projects, have a ton of sunk costs. And in that case, you know, the, the funder and the law firm have to look at, you know, what was really the value of the project? What was the value that was taken from the investor? And then look at it in that way. But these can all be challenges um, when uh, getting funding. And of course, because there's a, a big split in the waterfall at the end of the day, you have to make sure that the client and the funder and the law firm are all happy with how they'll um, sort out in the um, in the claims proceeds. I think knowing the challenges and learning, obviously, from lessons in applying for insurance and funding is is really invaluable for for a client. So again, that goes back to choosing the right legal representation and you know a law firm that has experience in in these transactions or involving a broking partner who yes. can help you present to the market and obviously select the right markets, which is again key. You know, some of the cost pressures um, and cost points you mentioned, the economics of a case, you know, that's where deal structure comes in. And that's where, you know, I'm going to uh, fly our flag in and say, you know, we help clients in deal structure. We look at combining products a lot of the times to unlock a dispute yeah. where specifically for funding, where maybe the headroom for quantum is, is not quite there or doesn't quite meet the funder's criteria. That's when we can use other products to uh, to improve the economics of a case um, and hopefully uh, unlock the solution. Well, and Katie, just an, another valuable aspect, I think, of having a broker or someone like you who is who's so familiar with the market and different funders and what they offer, it's important for clients to know that funding offers aren't apples and apples. So comparing them is really quite challenging because one offer might be uh, a better offer in years one through two, where there's a huge difference uh, at, at the end of a longer dispute. So really having someone with expertise who can model this for the clients and say, look, these are the you know benefits and the disadvantages of this particular offer versus that offer. And I have had scenarios where because there's been more than one funder vying for a case, they then are, are amenable to changing their terms so you can get you know, hopefully the best of, of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. A bidding war and, and, and the best of bo both worlds. So having someone like yourself who has expertise to be able to do that, first of all, to know where to go, perhaps on a side note, but one thing that isn't helpful is um, clients who try to go to 
too many law firms or too many funders, the case gets known in the market. You know, even if it's a good case, there becomes a lot of concern about why it hasn't been funded, why it's going through different law firms and different funders. It's ta- it becomes tainted. So you really have to be careful and have your your ducks in a row, if you will, before going to market. Because if you don't, you have the the prospect of you know tainting your case and and then not receiving funding as a result. Clients definitely underestimate the size. I think of the the legal and and funding market. It's much smaller. Absolutely. Uh, than I think. Now, nearing the end of the episode, I would just like to touch on your predictions on the future of litigation risk management solutions within law firms. I think this is here to stay. I think this is part and parcel of our practice. It's a service that our clients want. It's um, a service that we are more and more committed to. I know at CMS, we regularly um, are not only get our clients funding, but we're also happy to work on alternative fee arrangements that share risks with our clients. I think the market has become more sophisticated. I think the structures have become more sophisticated. And I think for many um, disputes, the um, funders that are in the market are becoming more niche and more specialized. So I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of variety out there to choose from. Um, there's a lot of opportunities, and I think it's here here to stay. I also think it's growing into other jurisdictions where it wasn't previously uh, allowed. I think this is a an area that will only expand globally. Absolutely, I think it, we we've already seen the kind of global expansion, but I, I completely agree agree with you on that point. And you know, being in the international arbitration sphere, you will be one of the first, I'm sure, to see it. But yeah, I, I think you know where there are investors, there will be uh, opportunity for for litigation funding. Uh, I, I think there will be continued kind of increase in use, but more innovation. You know, we've seen a consistent increase by law firms using both insurance and funding to unlock claims. And yeah, we can only assume this is going to continue uh, increasing. We we have and will continue to see law firms taking more of a lead on funding and insurance arrangements, using them to support the business. For example, we are seeing more law firms using insurance and funding to monetize and remove the risk of WIP, for example, and just anticipate these arrangements advancing. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. We've covered many interesting topics and given clients the tools needed when considering a dispute. As a final comment from you, what is your key takeaway from this discussion for a client considering running a dispute? Thanks, Katie. I think my key takeaways would first start with not the dispute, but the transaction itself. Um, it's really important that transactions are documented properly uh, and that the party's expectations at the time they're making those investments are documented properly. You know, contemporaneous evidence is key to winning any dispute. So it's important that corporations have a document retention policy, that they document the deals that are being made, the conversations that are being had, so they really have the evidence to win in the event that a claim arises ultimately. From the investor state perspective, I would also really encourage corporates to think about investment protection at the same time that they're thinking about things like tax and corporate governance. There have been a lot of treaties, especially intra-EU, that have been terminated. So those investors will no longer have investment treaty protection, which can really be a huge leverage uh, tool to be able to have an alternative 
cause of action against a government in the event that an investment is expropriated. So I would say make sure your investment is structured. I would also look very carefully at your arbitration clause. We often call them champagne clauses because they only get looked at when the champagne is popping and the deal is signed. And a lot of times there's not sufficient thought that's put into, you know, where will my dispute be resolved? Is it in the national courts? Are those national courts going to be biased towards my counterparty? Um, And how will I be able to enforce any award that I get? Uh, So it's really important to think about the dispute resolution provision at the time that you're transacting. And then once a dispute arises, my key takeaways would be, you know, get lawyers involved early follow the dispute resolution procedure of the contract or the treaty that you're involved in. Uh, A lot of times there are multi-steps that need to be taken, and so you should ensure that you follow that precisely. And then again, to gather the relevant documents, to interview or locate the relevant witnesses. Sometimes there might be a time passage, so you really need to get your evidence in order and really consider it in the context of all the commercial considerations of the company and really what is your strategy what does the client want to get out of this particular dispute and, and align yourself with lawyers who are going to help you achieve those commercial aims, not just a win in court, because at the end of the day, that might not be what is in your best interest. You might want to resolve it in a different manner. So those would be my key takeaways. Great advice, sir. Great advice. Um, my key takeaway is to be ahead of the curve and view these products as a complement to your business, whether a corporate or law firm. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been great to have you. Your views have been very insightful and you have given clients a complete guide to dispute resolution. Now that brings us to the end of our litigation risk management series. We have heard from lead market experts who have given invaluable advice and insights for any client considering or involved in a dispute. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favors the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favors the Brave on your favorite podcast app.